Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. We are transformed by the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. In this episode, Pastor Andrew shows us how to identify the Spirit at work. What I want to pick up today is Paul's visit to heaven. We'll come to that. Over the years, there have been movements across the planet and revivals in various countries. And one of those movements was called the Toronto Blessing. And it seemed to be that the Spirit of God was moving in a great way. And yet there were things about this movement that was of concern. A couple of them were that people would start grunting like a pig. And then people would jump up from their seats and run around the building. And then people would fall down the floor and wriggle around. These were all described as the work of the Spirit, the evidence or the activity of the Holy Spirit. But they weren't. Not that the Holy Spirit wasn't evident in other ways, but that was not evidence of the Holy Spirit. It was evidence of the Holy Spirit triggering something in that person, demonic presence in that person, that expressed itself in grunting, running around and falling down and wriggling. The executive director of Teen Challenge back in the days when I was learning ministry was a great minister in deliverance. And he was at a large conference and this woman was on the floor wriggling around and one of the pastors says, oh, look at what the Spirit's doing. And the director said, that's nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And he commanded a demon to leave that lady. And she stopped wriggling and got up and they prayed for her. Those things were evidence not of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit triggering the presence of demonic spirit. And I remember that executive director had a married couple come in and the husband had problems. And he was meant to counsel the husband. But instead of counseling the husband, he counseled the wife for two or three days. And the husband was getting irritated and irritated. And he says, well, when's he going to see me? And we were thinking, well, we have no idea. Anyway, on the fourth day, we're at dinner. And we had a large board table as our dinner table in the kitchen. And this gentleman was sitting on the far side of the table. All of a sudden, jumped up, run over the top of the table, ran down the street for about two kilometres, flat out, and then stopped and was instantly delivered and healed. Somehow or other, our executive director knew what he was doing and knew that the only way that husband was going to be healed of the demonic presence was him to actually come to the end of his tether, which he did. To describe a demonic activity as 
our Holy Spirit activity is one of the really difficult things in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus said you can be forgiven for anything except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, over the years I've had people time and time again say, I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, what did you do? That's an obvious question. Let's find out what you actually did. And never once had they actually done anything that had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And we prayed for them and they lost that guilt. So what were the Jewish leaders doing that was actually termed blasphemy? They were calling the works of the Holy Spirit the works of the devil. And so when we come to assess spiritual activity, we've got to be really careful that we don't start pouring rain on the Holy Spirit, but at the same time being aware of what the Spirit is truly doing. And one of the things that we found with the Toronto Blessing is it was off-key. And it was off-key in one of the fundamental understandings of the gifts of the Spirit. Because it said you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit without having the gifts of tongues. Yeah, okay. Isn't the gifts of tongues just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? So you may have the gift of healing and you may have the gift of prophecy you may have the gift of word of knowledge on that. But you don't need the tongues to do that. But it misunderstands the biblical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That from the beginning came with speaking in tongues. And every instance in Acts of its outpouring comes with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And when Paul gets to the topic in Corinthians, he notes that what is speaking in tongues? It is my spirit praying. It's a God language that God gives to us so we can speak to him from the very depths of our being, beyond our mental understanding, that we can speak with God and pray with God and have God's word come in an incredible way. The people who started Toronto Blessing clearly noted you don't need tongues. And it created a sense in churches that we'd been in of people trying to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they just didn't have. What was the issue of the Toronto blessing? And it's the blessing bit that's the issue. We don't engage the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit for our own benefit. We are always baptised in the Holy Spirit for others. We have the gifts of the Spirit for others, not ourselves, to enable us to bring healing and ministry into broken lives, leading them to Christ and enabling them to move into the fullness of the Spirit in their life. The Toronto Blessing eventually dwindled and the charismatic movement has dwindled. And over the years I've watched 
this movement and seen it decline and seen its activity. And I thought, here is something that God did to bring the power of his spirit back into the church. So why did it die? Now, I know there were forces against it. I know that major parts of the church were against it. But it didn't die for that reason. It died because of something the charismatic movement itself did. Two things. One, it wanted the Holy Spirit to bless what they were doing. Now, I don't know if you know much of the Holy Spirit. I don't think all of us know an enormous amount of him, but my gut feeling is he hasn't come to do what we want him to do. Have you realised that? The Holy Spirit doesn't come so he can bless what we are doing. He comes so we can do what God wants us to do. And if you get that back to front... Somewhere you start glorifying yourself. But the second thing that had happened, they began to cry victim. They were victims. The church was against them. And yes, the church was. But you see, there's a difference between being persecuted for what you believe and what God calls you to do than crying victim. Because when you cry victim, you take the power in a very back-to-front way. So we need to do two things. We're here to do what God wants to do in the power of his spirit. And we need to be baptized in his spirit so that it unleashes his power in our life, his gifts that are available to us to proclaim the good news, to preach and to live the gospel, and to bring healing and wholesomeness into the lives of others. And whatever that costs, we pay the cost. You know, when the Jewish leadership started to persecute the church, throwing the apostles into prison and all those sorts of things, the new church people gathered together. And you know what they started their prayer by saying? Thank you, God, that we are persecuted in your name. Would you start your prayer time like that? What if we actually started getting persecuted, really getting persecuted? What would we do? We would say, wow, great, thank you God. We're just so honoured to be persecuted in your name. And persecuted they got and it continued. Now one of the problems that I observed with the Trento Blessing was that there are elements of true spiritual presence of God. We are a church that operates in the presence of God. I don't think we've yet seen what God has really got up his sleeve for us yet. 
there's murmurs in the church that there's a new move of the Spirit coming. And the problem is, what form is a move of the Spirit going to take? And there are stuff going on out there, and one of them is basically people visiting heaven. We know of people who have died and gone to heaven and come back. And there's some reality about that. But we find that Paul, in his argument with the Corinthians, goes to heaven. And let me just read it for you. This is 2 Corinthians 12. I must go on boasting, or there is nothing to be gained. I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I could choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than what is warranted but what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weaknesses. Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It took 14 years before Paul spoke about this event. That he'd been to the third heaven. He was not to describe what he saw. And he never went there again before he died. Now there are churches where people are actually having this experience of going up to heaven and talking with angels and, and all that. And my concern is, is not what the Bible says. Paul, as a result of visiting it once, wore pain for the rest of his life. And he wore pain because of the revelations that he had from God. 
Now what I find exciting about this passage is his heaven. And when Paul talks about heaven, he actually knows what he's talking about. He's actually been there and back. And he knows time and time again he's eager to go and be with Jesus forever. But he's staying here because of the work of God. Now one of the most awesome things that has come out of this particular movement is not so much this visitation to heaven, which I have a little bit of concern about, and I've said that, but it's actually enabled two powerful passages from the Bible to be used, which we've spoken of before. In Ephesians, Paul talked to us about sitting with Christ in the heavenly places. And Watchman Nee has written a book called Sit, Walk, Stand, where he notes that in Ephesians we're instructed to do three things. First is to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Two is to walk with him in the spirit. And three is to stand against the forces of evil. You know, Ephesians is a tough book. And this whole sense of getting a hold of sitting with Christ, of just being with him, there in the heavenly places. I don't think it literally means we've gone up to heaven, but it is the engagement with Christ in the present, in the here and now, where we are, that links us to heaven in a particular way. Not by racing up there and back and forth, but by actually being in its presence in Christ, in whom we are and he is in us. How do you do that? How do you get there? And we've touched on this before when we've looked at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. How do we do that? By gazing into the face of Jesus. Now, I know we can't physically do that. But as we sit with Christ and as we gaze upon him through our inner spirit, we get transformed and become like him. So there is in the midst of what God is doing across the planet an engagement with Jesus. I remember years ago watching a video of a revival in a place called Pensacola. It's quite a large church and people were coming up for prayer and falling down after the minister had prayed with them. But so strong was the presence of God, the minister himself was only just managing to stay standing. It said that people by the thousands were coming every night of the week. You know, we have a heart desire for the presence of God. 
And yet when we get into the framework of a negative outcome, and we've seen the sense of the work of the Spirit disintegrating across the church, we can lose any sense of a positive work of God going on. And yet as we as a church have walked, the Spirit of God has increased his activity and asked us to be open to his purpose and will. I believe that this is a new time from God, that he's wanting not only us to be filled with the Spirit, expressing the presence of the Spirit, but using the gifts of the Spirit. And I think that we should have a new expectation of the power of the Spirit coming through our church, breaking out into the world around us and bringing people into the kingdom. Because you know, in everything that we do and everything we aspire to do, we cannot do in our own might, in our own power, in our own strength. Because when we do that, we're just going to get tired. Or we can be charismatic in the wrong sense, like charismatic leaders, people with great charisma. They can almost get you to do anything, convince you of any direction. That's not what we're on about as a church. We're on about God's direction, God's presence, God's purpose, in the power of his spirit. And so this morning I'm going to pray that the power of the Spirit comes onto us afresh. That we might be empowered to do what God is wanting us to do in the way that he wants it to be done. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you sent your Spirit into the church at Pentecost. And you've sent it into our church in the past. We pray that you would send your spirit afresh to us. That you would empower us as a church and individuals. That you would fill us with your spirit. That we would be open to your purpose, obedient to your will. And that we might see the gifts of your spirit arise afresh and the use of bringing healing and wholesomeness into the lives of those who are broken. We pray, Lord, that your gifts will be available us in greater proportion and that we would use them for the blessing of others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au